Um, I like to do Christmas carols this time of year, talk about some of the ones that we like to sing. And on page number 402, is a famous one we're going to talk about today, We Three Kings. We Three Kings of Orion are. And there's kind of, through history, been a fascination about this story. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 2. We'll be looking at that a little bit too to go along with what we look at in the hymn. But uh, there's legend has given three names. Uh, Melchior and Balthazar and Casper, like the friendly ghost. And those are the three names that legend gave to the three kings, and you may have never heard those names, but uh, legend has given us that <coughs> those three names as the three kings who visited the wise, uh, wise men. And so, to that, this morning I want to give a hearty Christmas humbug. Okay? Uh, that may be the names that came down through legend, uh, but the record of this event is in the Bible, and it's nowhere else. And so if you say, well, how do we know uh, what happened? That's where we get the information from Matthew chapter 2. And it doesn't say in Matthew chapter 2 that there's such a person as Melchior, Balthazar, or Casper at all. As a matter of fact, uh, it doesn't say that the kings came. Uh, it doesn't say that they were kings. It says that the people who came were magi, which is a little different. We'll talk about that in a minute. It doesn't say that they were actually kings. And so our song is We Three Kings. It doesn't say that there was three. <laughs> All right. As a matter of fact, there's a pretty good chance there was a whole lot more than three that came. Uh, so if you look in Matthew 2, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men, that's the word magi, from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Jerusalem is a major big city. If three people came in, so I'm looking for somebody, everybody say, who are you? get out of here. But if a whole caravan comes, all right, now we got some interest. And so it's highly likely that there was a whole caravan and something troubled whole city of Jerusalem. And uh, it wasn't just a little group of three men. I'm sure it was a whole caravan. They traveled and it'd take quite a few people. Naturally, you have to have somebody to cook. If you're traveling for months, maybe several months, you're going on a camel, you know, you don't get there quickly. <laughs> All right. So the people believe they came from the southern tip of Saudi Arabia, which is a possibility, probably a pretty good possibility that that's the case. So what about the legend of these men 
uh, what about it? Do we just throw out all legend? Is legend okay? Question I would first ask is what's the purpose of it? During the Middle Ages, probably when this legend was created, because they created a lot of legends during the Middle Ages. During the Middle Ages, they made all kinds of legends. And uh, some of them, and I would call this legend about the three kings, I don't think it's anything bad about it. It's just a story they helped to make up. Uh, But some of the legends that they created were just outright fraud. For example, there was a time when you could buy a piece of Christ's cross. A hunk of wood, they said, came from Christ's cross. If you took all the pieces of wood that were for sale, you could make 50 crosses. All right? So obviously it's fraud. The intent is to defraud. And they're chopping little pieces of wood. Hey, this was part of Christ's cross. This is the legend. All right? So that kind of thing, obviously, if it's fraud, then we're not interested in it at all. But this, I don't think, is an intent to defraud, but rather to think about more seriously about it. And so the song comes into play. You say, well, we three kings, I thought they were magi. They were. And the magi were actually a group of people who (coughs) were advisors. The best word for them is advisors. The first place they show up in the Bible is in Egypt. When Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, he says, watch this stick. He throws it on the ground, becomes a snake. Picks it up, it's a stick again. And the magi of Egypt come in and say, we can do that. And they throw their stick down, becomes a snake. Just like Moses. Only Moses' snake went around and swallowed all theirs up. <laughs> all right, a little hint, all right, right? Who are these guys? Who's the magi? Well, they're advisors to Pharaoh, advisors to the king, and they are the collector of knowledge. And I would say that's really, uh, they collect knowledge and they store it and keep it secret, I would say. And the reason they store knowledge is so that they can become advisors to important people. And they become a class of men who are advisors to king down through history. And these magi, uh, then you say, well, they're not kings. No, they're not really kings. But they're high in every government that we see in the Old Testament. We come to Babylon. And we've got the same thing. We've got magi in Babylon. And now here in the story, these magi come as advisors to a king because they have information, secret information, and they have used their information to find out what they seem to know, which is there's a king born as a king of the Jews. The king of the Jews. All right, so we look at the first verse of our song. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Nothing wrong with that. That's true. They came a long ways by caravan and a natural caravan route up through the desert. It was quite a trip for them to make. 
And uh, they were two years from the time they discovered the star till they arrived in Jerusalem. Now, I don't think it was a two-year trip, but it took them a while to figure out what the star was, which is part of the time that has gone by. And they had their information, the stuff that they kept secret, and that was an important part of who they were. Now, <clears throat> the next Magi, we have Magi in Egypt, and the next Magi we meet is a guy named uh, Balaam. Maybe you've heard of Balaam. He's the guy who talked to his donkey. <laughs> you say, well, he advises kings? Hey, we got better than that nowadays, you know. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. But uh, the Magi <clears throat> was Balaam, and he was an advisor, the king of Edom. And Edom said, uh, this Israelite nation just came out of Egypt, very powerful. They left Egypt in ruins, so I'm going to hire you as a Magi to advise me. We're going to curse that tribe. So I want you to do a curse from God on him. And, you know, he tried to do it, and he couldn't do it. And his donkey finally said, are you stupid? And he, and he talked back to the donkey. You know, everybody talks to their pets, right? Has your pet ever said anything to you? My pet says something to me, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not likely to argue with him, I don't think. But Balaam argued with him. But what Balaam said, finally, is God allowed him, he stopped him from cursing Israel. He said, well, what do you see? He said, I see a star rising out of Jacob. That was his prophecy. So Balaam, he's magi too. He's also mad, He says, I see a star rising. And in the history then of the Magi, uh, Balaam comes up as a prophet with information from God. He talks about a star rising. What then happened, we go to the kingdom of Babylon. And Babylon was old Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had magi. So Nebuchadnezzar had a dream one night and he got up and he said, I had a dream. I want you magi, you advisors, come in and interpret it. He said, here we are. Just tell us what it is. He said, I forgot it. What do you mean you forgot it? You expect us to interpret what you forget? Yep. Well, we can't do that. He said, well, I'll cut your heads off tomorrow. So we're done. I'm done with you. You didn't advise me properly. All the magi are going to get their heads cut off tomorrow. We're going to get rid of you all because you're not really on top of things. He's a tough guy, okay? And the word comes to a young man named Daniel, who is also a study under the magi. And Daniel... Comes in, he says, King, I think I can do this if you, God will help me to do it. And so he told him, Here's your dream. Said, You're right, I remember now. <laughs> he interpreted his dream for him. As a result of that, Daniel was made in Babylon master of the Magi. He is now in charge of all the Magi in Babylon, which is a big deal. All right, he's. he's and so enter into the Babylon Magi, now this prophet Daniel. 
So they will now hold information from Daniel. So they've got information going way back. They know that God is real. That information came out of the Magi in Egypt. Saw what God could do. Balaam has another Magi. Says, I see a star rising. And then Daniel, what he did for the Magi was, <clears throat> here's when it's going to happen. With the day that they order Jerusalem to be built, it'll be 69 weeks of years or 463 years until Messiah is born. And Daniel gives an exact time. And so these guys doing their research said, well, we know we found a new star because we always watch the stars. And uh, we try to figure out it. We have this magi who said there's a star rising out of Jacob. And we have Daniel's information held by us in secret, which tells us just about when it's going to happen. So we know when they rebuilt Jerusalem because that order came out of uh, Persia. All right? And we know that. And so we have this information. And so we know the time is just about right. And we know that there's a star connected with it. So let's go find him. Off they go. So they do their work from the information that they have, and they go to Jerusalem and say, we're here to see the king of the Jews. Now, the fascinating part of the story to me is verse 4, back in Matthew 2. When he gathered all the chief priests, that is Herod, and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Now Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. And Herod, when he privily called the wise men, and inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, they tell him two years back, and he sent them to Bethlehem said, Go search diligently for the young child. You have found him. Bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And what's so crazy about that? It's just insane to me. These Jews, these Jews that Herod asked, what do you know about this king? He said, well, we know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, these magi came and they said, He's already been born. So, well, that's what we heard. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. So he said, well, I'm going to send him down there and they'll let me know where he's at. If those Jews knew that he was born in Bethlehem, it's seven miles away. Why didn't they go themselves? What is wrong with these people that they didn't go themselves? What's wrong with them? Is they got Roman money in their pocket. And they could care less about Messiah. They don't even want him to come, really. And so they won't even go seven miles to check on the possible arrival of Messiah. Which is an amazing sign of what was coming. Because it is those... Jews who gave that information that cried crucify. Okay, but that's, let's go back to the story. Stories about three kings or three wise men or a whole bunch of wise men. <laughs> 
a whole caravan. They have to have cooks to cook. They have to have guards. You don't travel in those days with a whole lot of money without guards. There's another song we sing, Three Great Kings I Met in Early Morn with all their retinue were slowly marching, which is just about right. Retinue is a great big crowd of people and they're following, they're traveling by camel, they got people to care for camels, to do work, the whole deal. And so it's a big crowd that comes into Jerusalem. Now, <clears throat> the next bit of legend is this, that... They purchased gifts, and connected with each gift was a purpose. And so that's what this song is about, and if we look at it. Uh, Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again, king forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. So one of the gifts they give is gold, and he says they gave that to him because he was a king. All right? You think that's legend? No, they said right there, well, he's a king of Jews. And I don't think it was unreasonable to bring him gold. So I think that is not legend. They said, yeah, he's a king. He's a king of the Jews. We have information. Now, knowing not only when he's going to be born, but that a star would rise, and we know now he's born in Bethlehem. So he's a king, and we're bringing him gold. So there's really no unusual part of that. Verse 2, or 3, frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him, God on high. Frankincense was something that uh, and that's why people think they were from the southern tip of Arabia. There was a tree down the southern end of Arabia. And it was a special tree. And if they cut it in certain spots, uh, the gum would come out. Now, have you seen cherry trees with gum coming out? It's a little golden kind of stuff that comes out uh, of a tree. When I was a kid, it was cool, man. Look at that. I take it. My mother said, don't bring that in the house. <laughs> but uh, frankincense, uh, people believe that that was actually very, very rare. And so they cut these trees, collected it in southern Arabia. Which is one of the reasons, like I said, why they think they came from Arabia. Now, what the song says is we're bringing him frankincense because frankincense was something that the Jews had offered for years in their temple services. In, you go through the temple, past the altar of sacrifice, come to a long curtain, Go into what's called a holy place. And there's a table of showbread on one side. And there's a candlelight on the other side. And there's a little tiny altar there where they burn incense. And it's very fragrant. It smells beautiful. So they would light the incense on the little altar and it would go up. And it was a concept of I'm praying to God. And my thoughts and prayers go up to God and 
God smells and smells good. He likes it. He approves of that. So he says, frankincense to offer have I. I'm bringing some of this gum from the tree. Very expensive. Incense owns a deity nigh. Or incense is what we offer to God and ask God to hear us and come near to us. Prayer and praising all men raising Worship him, God on high. So they say that this gift was assigned because they said <coughs> he's God. So frankincense is given because they say he's God. And they believe that. You got the same problem as everybody else. They look at him. He's a he's just a little child. You got the same problem. Did they believe it? Yeah, they believed it. Why? Because somebody put that star up there. And ain't no magi can do that. Ain't no king of Babylon or anywhere else that can put a star in the sky. So who did it? Well, only one person can put a star in the sky. So if we look up and we find a new star, we've actually attached meaning to that star. We believe that God is there. And so when you look at him and say, well, it doesn't look like God. It doesn't look like God, but we offer him something expensive. And I think that the main purpose of the gift was that they were expensive, very expensive, very costly things. And they were going to give something of great value to baby Jesus. All right? Third one is myrrh. This is the one that really gets people thinking. <clears throat> Verse 4, myrrh is mine. It's bitter perfume. Breathes a life of gathering gloom. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying. Sealed in stone cold tomb. Myrrh was a, a, a perfume... Uh, and its purpose was mainly the embalming of bodies. And when people died, they took myrrh and they rubbed it on their bodies. And when Jesus died, uh, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea bring myrrh to the tomb to anoint the body. They're in a hurry. They quickly do it and shove him in. The ladies go back on Easter Sunday to do it again. They said, we like to do a better job than the men did. And so we're going to do it again. And we're going to wash the body properly because they didn't have the time to do that. And so we're, we're going to do that. The place you hear of myrrh is Mary. She comes... She's got an alabaster box, a sealed box, and it holds myrrh. And she's going to anoint Jesus' feet the week before he dies. And so you break open the box, and now you've got to use it. It's not a screw on top like we have. Okay? They've sealed it shut, and it's got myrrh in it. And it says that the myrrh that she used was 300 pennies worth. And... A penny in those days is what you earned in one day. So you got 300 days pay. That's about a year's pay. So what do you make in a year? 
Well, that's what it would cost you to buy a, a thing of myrrh. You know, what was it, 30,000? We'd say maybe 40,000 in, in our thinking today. Uh, it's expensive, it's very expensive. And its primary use is not its only use because it is a perfume, but its primary use was to put on dead bodies. He said, why are you giving embalming perfume to a little baby? Well, did they know he was gonna die? Well, they got a little hint. <laughs> Verse 12, it says, well, 11, and they come to the house. By the way, they didn't go to the manger. They generally, people believe they went to the manger. They didn't. They went to a house. By the time they arrive, he's moved out of the manger. He's in a local house. When they come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, fell down and worshipped him. That would be God. When they opened their treasure, presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, they should not return to her. They departed to their own country another way. God says they want to kill that baby. So don't you go back to Jerusalem. You find another way home and get out of here so that baby can be protected. And so they know he's in trouble from the government. All right. So did they actually purposely buy these gifts to say to baby Jesus, look, I know you're going to die. Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that the choices of their gifts were primarily based on the expense. These are costly gifts. Gold, frankincense, cut from a rare tree, and then myrrh, perfume, used for embalming. Very expensive. I think they brought the gifts to Jesus because they were expensive. But they knew, because they did their research, that he was a king. They knew that he had come from God because God put the star up, and they knew now that he was in trouble from the government. So they did, they did know a lot about him really. Uh, how many there were, who knows, doesn't matter. The idea behind it was they came. Verse five, glorious now, behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice. The three uh, types of person, three roles that Jesus had, king, he comes to be the king. He says, what do you pray? What did I teach you to pray? Thy kingdom come, right? He's a king. He is God. He can make stars appear. And he's a sacrifice. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Sounds through the earth and sky. And so one day he arose out of the grave in his glorious, glorious power and proved that he was all those things. So uh, it's a great song. You see it's written both. Uh, you notice John Hopkins and wrote both the words and the melody on both sides of the page there. You see his name. It's kind of unusual. Most people don't do that. Star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. They had a desire to know truth. And they came to prove it. Prove their desire, find out if this was true, and God 
blessed them and let them go see the baby Jesus. And so uh, it's not all legend. There's a lot of truth in the song. The names are legendary. The number is legendary. The idea of kings is part of that legend. Uh, they were magi, the Bible says. There's no other story other than this one that actually tells it that isn't become legend. And like I said, in the Middle Ages, legends just piled up all over the place. Uh, were they harmful? I don't know. One of the legends, for example, is that in the manger, uh, animals could talk. All right? That's one of their legends. I kind of get a kick out of that, you know. I like to hear lambs talking back and forth, and we sing little songs about lambs talking and so on and so forth. doesn't harm anything. doesn't harm anything. We don't have to be afraid of legends. We have the exact record. It's here. We can look at that and know what's exactly true. And some things are legend aren't harmful. It doesn't hurt anybody to read that animals can talk. Uh, other legend is that birds came to the manger. I don't have any doubt that birds come to a barn. Go down in West Jackson, you'll see them all over the place, going into the buildings. All right, they're up in the eaves all summer long, making their nests and raising their young. So I don't have any, but they say, birds from the woods and wonders play. Bethlehem seek this holy night. Well, I don't know. I'm sure there were some there. And we're going to have a few in our manger come, come uh, old-fashioned Christmas. So uh, nothing wrong with legends. And there's a little bit of legend in the idea of three kings. But it's okay. We can live with it because we know the truth. We have the Bible record. And we have the gifts where they intended to make a statement. A little bit. A little bit, yes. This is a king. We're going to give him gold. And we know God's got a lot to do with it. So when I said humbug on the legend, well, I'm not all that mean. All right? So, so thank you.